Merry Christmas, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Eat Local New York podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Tringale, and in this very special Christmas edition of the podcast, I am sitting down and talking with Billy Smith from Heritage Hill Brewery out in Poppy, New York. Well, I'm thrilled to finally have uh, Billy on the podcast. I've been talking to him about it for the better part of a year or more. I'm trying to get him in here to to sit down and 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 uh, record this episode, and glad that we could finally make it work. Um, you know, uh, Billy does uh, well. First of all, I've known Billy since like the early days over at IBU, and sort of tracked his career. and And he's been at Heritage Hill now for I don't know two years, three years. I, I forget. I think he mentions it in the episode, but. Um, but you know he the I think some one thing that makes Billy really special is the fact that for the majority up until recently, for the majority of his time at Heritage Hill, he has been it. He has been the person who has been out there brewing all the beers and packaging all the beers and distributing them and getting them in Wegmans and going and setting up displays in Wegmans, and uh, and not to mention just the sheer volume of what I would expect is an insane amount of beer that Heritage Hill sells just on site, you know. Over the years, over the past couple of years, you know, like I've I've had my fair share of shitting on uh, Heritage Hill. And, you know, looking back on that, it's just me being a douche. That's really all it is. Because uh, Heritage Hill really is a great space. I mean, when you think of like um, agro-tourism farms, like that's, I think, like the pinnacle, right? Like that's the poster child essentially for it. And it's just such a great property, phenomenal buildings, and they've just, they've really done a great job. Dan and, you know, whomever else is out there that's involved has just done such a great job of building um, this really great resource and treasure and, and place for families to go and, and people to go and hang out and drink and eat and whether you're going to a party they're having or an event or um, just going for dinner or beer or whatever the case is, you know, they just do a really great job out there. And that deserves an incredible amount of credit because um, I think it's an important part to uh, the food service community at large. And like I said, you know, I have done my fair share of shitting on them for the last two years. And, you know, to be quite frank, shame on me. I should not have done that. Um, so I'm really impressed. I've always been impressed with Billy and just the fact that, like I said, he's not only producing great beers um, out at Heritage Hill, but he's doing it by himself. And it's just, it's it's really something to admire. Um, so I'm thrilled to have him on the podcast and especially releasing today on Christmas morning. It's a lot of fun uh, to be putting the episode out now. Well, you know, last week, uh, or on the episode with, with Chef Royce, I was talking, reflecting a little bit about 2023 and, and you know, alluding to what 2024 is going to be about. You know, the thing with, I will say, you know, the mind of a business owner like myself and, and somebody who's, you know, I'm in the marketing business, right? I mean, here through Local New York, um, with my stuff, you know, I'm promoting local restaurants and, and chefs and owners. And... Um, and so, but even, but it's marketing and, you know, the things that pay the bills here at Eat Local New York are handling, you know, I've know I've mentioned this a thousand times in the podcast, but the thing that keeps the lights on is, 
um, the marketing that I do, the content creation, the social media management that I do for other restaurants and businesses here in Syracuse and, and outside the area. Um, and I know I mentioned it in the past couple episodes, but, uh, you know, that I've never really t- posted about that side of the business on social. And now I am. And, you know, I'd started Yummy Socials, which is just, you know, kind of a corny name for that side of the business. And so I've got the website. I've got a podcast for Yummy Socials where I'm putting out it's all information and instruction and education on content creation, social media management, and growth, and then growing your business, growing your restaurant's business. And um, so definitely go follow that there. But being a solo business owner in that space, it's you kind of ride way you, you ride I ride the wave of what's the next content thing? You know, what's the Maybe it's what's the latest trend in, in videography and photography and editing um, and how something gets posted, but it's kind of writing those trends. And so I get really excited about a project and then, you know, when I'm done with that project, I'm done with it. Or I get really excited about the idea of a piece of content and, you know, maybe I film it, but then it takes me forever to edit it and, and distribute it. And, um, and it's a lot harder when you're doing like what I have for the la- for the majority of 2023, which is trying to put out a brand new piece of content every single day. Because when you look at it, there's so much that goes into the logistics. Like it's not really, it's not realistic to just show up to five restaurants in a day unannounced and with a camera and go in there and film because maybe you're in their way. Maybe you're like, you're not going to get in the kitchen if you just show up unannounced to make should get a video of like them showing how food's made or dishes prepared. Maybe I'm just going to order something and sit at the table and, and put myself on camera and, and eat it and talk about it and review it for lack of a better term. But maybe that's going to be disruptive for their service. So, um, but you know, there's just a lot that goes into the logistics, the planning, the coordinating with the restaurants, the filming, and then the editing and then the releasing. So, you know, my plan and my hope for 2024 is to focus more on um, longer form stories, utilizing our YouTube channel a lot more and utilizing the podcast a lot more, but put out longer form stories that highlight um, instead of just, hey, look at this cheeseburger this restaurant has to instead highlighting the people behind the restaurants or on the farms you know, I know I've talked about the piece that I did with um, uh, Hillside Farms and Eden, and that full episode's going to be coming out soon. Um, but putting out, like, content like that, you know, and so I've, I've kind of identified each each month of 2024 what our theme's going to be, and then now going out to create this longer-form content. You know, I, if, if 2023 was, I mean, don't get me wrong, there was... The mission here at Eat Local New York is to promote local restaurants and local businesses in the food service space. And I think I've done a really hell of a good job doing that for the last eight years, but especially over the last year. And if I make a video, if I make kind of like a superficial video about, man, this is the best cheeseburger I've ever had in my life, and it helps get a customer to that restaurant, then job well done. Um, But in 2024, I want to get a customer to that restaurant, but by telling more of a significant story about the restaurant. So that's going to be the hope. That's my hope. That's my goal for 2024. And listen, if the business 
does well and, you know, brings in enough money, then I'll hire somebody to help me produce even, you know, more content. But, you know, that's if there's a direction that I'm kind of bringing the, this the ship into, it's 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 longer form content that's more meaningful, but still interesting and, and entertaining, but just, you know, a deeper dive into the world of these chefs and food makers and restaurant owners. So stay tuned for that. Um, and I'd love to increase partnerships. So if you're a restaurant owner listening to this, and you'd help with content creation or marketing, please reach out to me, yummysocials.com. You can go there. And if you're listening to this and you'd like to be a sponsor here on the Eat Local New York podcast, reach out to me, Anthony at Eat Local New York. New York is spelled out, Anthony at EatLocalNewYork.com or visit our website at EatLocalNewYork.com. And speaking of sponsors, Brown Carbonic, man, you know, and I look back at 2024 and I think about the partnerships and, you know, the relationships that have begun in 2024. Brown Carbonic is top of the list in terms of ones that I'm just really happy about. And working with Sean has been great to see a like-minded local family-owned and operated business where he has kind of, you know, they've got the same values, which is help restaurants and and food service, hospitality businesses grow, help them save money, help them put out an exceptional product for their customers and, and go above and beyond to do so. And I mentioned it in the last week's, you know, at, you know, introduction, but I had the opportunity to go out with Sean with him as he went and met with a couple different restaurants and, you know, to see the the amount of effort and care that he puts into working with customers and not even customers, even just working and, and identifying things and, and solutions for potential co- people who haven't even signed the contract with them yet to carry any of their products or any of their services. Uh, just a really phenomenal local business. And I can't stress this enough. If you're a restaurant owner, business owner, whatever, listening to this, and you have draft soda on your in your restaurant, in your business, and you're going with Coke or Pepsi, stop. Stop buying from them. Contact Brown Carbonic at 315-454-3591. You know, I just, what is more important than supporting local businesses and other local entrepreneurs and business owners here in our very own community, especially those that are in our same industry? So Brown Carbonic from craft sodas and beverages to ice, ice machines and, you know, draft beer systems, your CO2, your nitrogen they offer that in, in exceptional service. So reach out to them today. You can also visit them online at browncarbonic.com. Well, without further ado, here is my conversation with Billy from Heritage Hill. Merry uh, Christmas, Billy. Merry, Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> uh, well, welcome, finally, you son I of know. a bitch. It's been too long. It's like two years. I figured we'd wait another year too, but <laughs> this the suspense, you know. I was just listening to the Mark Marin podcast, and he was talking about he was trying to get uh, some guy on the podcast, Albert Brooks. Friend, it's been like the last ten years. He finally did it, and then as they were sitting down and recording, he was like, "Well, now I feel like just another number. I should have made you wait. Should have made you. Should have held out. Made you keep wanting to get me on the podcast." Yeah, that's cool that we're launching this on Christmas. Though I actually have a Christmas beer coming out. Do you? Brewing my first barley wine. Oh. I just hit the uh, biggest gravity, so basically the sugar content I've ever 
hit in all of my history of uh, brewing, it should be around 13% without hmm. any adjuncts. So that's awesome. So I obviously know what that means because I'm an expert. <laughs> uh, but for all those that are listening who have no idea what you're talking about, what does that mean, the highest gravity you've ever hit? So there's just a lot of uh, fermentable sugar from grains, essentially. Um, um, so it's it's been a learning curve with the system at Heritage Hill trying to get higher numbers, uh, more fermentable sugar with the size of the mash tun, basically. Okay. The size of the equipment, I gotcha. should say. Okay. So it's easier in some cases the larger the equipment you have? The Basically, the circumference of the uh, mash tun, you want mm. more, you want a wider one, so you have more water to, to grain surface area to gotcha. get better extraction. So okay. the system there, it's a great system, but... Um, it's a lot easier to make small beers than it is to make giant 13% beer. Did they have that in place before you started there? Or did they reach out to you first? How did that all work? So it is a long story. Um, they were open for about two years, okay. I want to say, um, before I came on board there. Um, and I had become friends with Dan Paladino, the founder, um, their first year of opening, we ended up drinking a bunch of beer at, in Albany and, you know, just having a great time hanging out all weekend at the Craft Brewers Conference because we're some of the only brewers and mm. uh, brewery owners from Syracuse out that way that, that time. So mm. um, a few months went by and he was uh, losing his initial brewer who was really only on board to help the setup process. He was a, a good friend of Dan's from high school and such and uh, co-owner of a brewery called Gravity Brewing Company mm. out in Colorado. So um, after his leave, he asked me to come on board. And um, at the time, I was closing in on year two at Talking Cursive. Mm. Um, and I'd, after about a year, I had stepped into brewing almost all the beers there, which was really mm. cool. And um, so Talking Cursive ended up making me a counter offer and... Um, I ended up staying with them because I'd helped open that place and, you know, I felt super loyal. And then um, about six months went by and Heritage Hill had six or seven talking cursive beers on tap over there because the brewer that he hired in place of me wasn't keeping up. So I ended up, Dan, I delivered beer one, uh, I was delivering beer every single week. And um, one of the weeks I show up with a big order and, uh, He's like, we got to revisit that conversation. What's it going to take for you to come on board? You know, um, he's like, hmm. I, I need whatever it's going to take. So we worked out an agreement and um, I left talking cursive on good terms. Yeah. So it's been, it's been about three and a half, a little over three and a half years I've been over there now. Hmm. It's, uh, you know, the things that impress me most about it is like, it's you, like you're the only person. Right, it's not like a team. Well, Terry, Terry's come on board. He's he's a big part of it now. But yeah. For the first, you know, three and a half years of me being there, or right. three years, I shall say. Terry's coming in on about two, three months now, and okay, yeah. Um, he's becoming a big part of production moving forward. So I, we can both focus on the bigger things. It is. It's so nice to have a team in place now instead of just yourself. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's great that Terry's there, and I like I like Terry a lot, and I followed his career on Facebook of like going up north and then WT and then now with you um, and IBU, you know, back in the day, I remember seeing him at IBU. Um, so that's really cool. But up until the last three months, it was you yeah. out there and you guys self-distribute. You can yourself, right? Yep. 
you brew everything? You don't contract out? No contracts. And, I mean, how much beer do you go through? A lot. We have, well, it's called a brew pub model mostly, which meaning you sell, um, I think statistically it's like 80% or, or more on premise to be to, to have, hold that title. But we sell a good majority on premise. And then um, up until just recently, we had an independent distribution contract with all eight Wegmans in the Onondaga County, mm. which was such a headache. We're still at a few of them, but it's very hard to dedicate two full uh, work days to um, inventory, backstock, restocking, and their hours are like you got to be there between six a.m. and like one thirty at a lot of the loading docks to get anything in there. So it's hmm. that was a nightmare. But you know, all self distro. We're at the Syracuse Dome, um, a couple other big accounts like that, and Harvey's trying to really scale back a bit on smaller accounts and focus on really big, heavy hitting accounts, just hmm. so it's less foot footwork. Yeah, and then obviously a shit ton for on-site yeah yep usually mm. around 20 beers on tap and right mm. now we have six in cans and five barrel-aged bottles coming out that i can't speak of but mm. around christmas time hopefully so but i mean re- at the end of the day i think if there is a brewery out there i mean hell if there is a brewery that did i'm sure I'm, I'm guessing here but just the heritage hill volume just for the busy season They'd be happy with that alone. Not to mention Wegmans and all the other places that you distribute. I mean, you guys go through a shit ton of beer, I have to imagine. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot. Um, at first, when I onboarded over there, it was definitely a, a curve trying to figure out volume of everything and how quick we go through everything versus, you know, my previous brewing um, positions in the city. Um, but it's there's so many elements that go into that with different streams of revenue based on, you know, we have a family oriented facility, we have a full kitchen, we have all these different events that we do all year round. Like right now we're doing uh, horse-drawn sleigh rides, um, brunch with Santa, live music. It's, it's really like building, <clears throat> the biggest way to build your revenue stream is just have multiple, multiple avenues. And that's, that's key with a facility like ours because we are a bit out of the beaten path, mm-hmm. but it's more so a destination spot than it is just a brewery or a restaurant or so. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a phenomenal location. Um, it, you wouldn't think that it would be, but, you know, because Pompey is, you know, it's a good, what, 30 minutes from here, 25, 30 minutes from here. Yeah, it's yeah. N- it's not really near anything else. You really, like you said, it's a destination. You have to be going there. If you're not going there for Heritage Hill, you're really not going out there. Um, and, yeah, it's been great. I mean, you know, everything that you guys have captured out there has been awesome. Uh, I mean, I've been out there more than a few times and enjoy it. You know, as much shit as I like to give. Sometimes I still enjoy that's what, that's what buddies do, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So, what made you get into beer? Because then, did you first originally start by being, you know, over through IBU? So I was home brewing. Um, I was working as a diesel mechanic, and uh, my my uh, stepbrother was super into Amagang and. For the longest time, I just I didn't know anything about craft beer. I just thought everything was just like Coors Lights, and mm. I didn't care for Coors Light at the time. So, my older brother introduced me to Amagang and you know uh, different Belgian beers and such. And 
I was 19 at the time when I decided that, well, when I found out, I'm like, oh shit, I can, I can get all these ingredients and make hooch at home. Like I can illegally make alcohol. Let's do it. So wait, you were drinking before 21? No, no, no. (laughs) Um, uh, So I got everything and started making uh, beer at home. And then um, a lot of the guys at the diesel shop would give me a bunch of shit because I, in between uh, jobs and such, I'd be sitting there reading brewing books at my desk or at the uh, at my toolbox, and just trying to research different recipes and you know origins mm. of different beer styles and such. And then did that for a couple years, and um, IBU used to host their homebrewers club. So when I had turned twenty one, I started going to that, and um, I was sampling out some of my homebrewed beers and. Uh, Logan Bonney uh, from Anything But Beer came up to me and thought my beer was really great and asked me if I wanted to interview to um, brew over at their facility. And I absolutely hated my diesel job. So I'm like, when can when can we do this? Let's get it going. <laughs> um, went over there, interviewed with him. They um, basically hired me on the spot, which was awesome. Mm. We had great chemistry. Um, worked over there for a bit. And then uh, Talking Cursive was hiring for just a shift brewer. And I'm like, I didn't have my daughter at the time and I love to brew. So I'm like, yeah, let, you know, I took that on and then they eventually wanted me full time. So I ended up leaving Talking Cursive to go over there and uh, hmm. left Talking Cursive to go to Heritage Hill and, the, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, that's cool. So, I mean, what's it? The one thing these are the parts of the podcast that <laughs> I have to that like I listen back and I edit out because I start th- I don't Leave come it. I don't come into any of these podcasts with anything planned ever. That's good though. That's how it's you know it's organic, right? And but what that means is as you uh, the guest finishes saying something and I'm thinking about how to formulate my next question, <laughs> I say zoom, things zoom, often. Zoom. They're like. Uh, yeah, right. Well, um, <laughs> uh, what about this? Yeah. So that usually it's like five seconds of me stammering. The things you that I think, again. <laughs> <laughs> the things that I think are impressive about, uh, you and, and, you know, your, and what you do here at the jail is that it's up until recently, it's just been you and you're putting out such an extraordinary amount of beer and you're one of the only brewers that I know of who I haven't seen get like really down on the dumps over the, like at any point in let's say the last six years that I've known different brewers in the area or in central New York or wherever. Um, like some of them I see like the passion and then it's like super depressed, especially now it's easy to be depressed because beer is so down. Right. Um, but so I've always like I've admired that about you. Like anytime I've run into you or talked or whatever, you know, we talk to each other weekly. You right. know, uh, you and I, and then we call each other at least an hour a week. Yeah. And chat before bed. Um, <laughs> if you're not tucking me in, yeah, that's usually the regimen. <laughs> <laughs> but I've never heard you be like I've never heard you say anything to the effect of "Oh, it sucks. I don't want to do it this week." Um, you know, beer sucks right now. I'm so bummed I have to make this beer. Right. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I I did struggle with self-motivation for a little bit there because, um, you know, moving to the beat of your own drum can, it can get old, but it's, it's almost easier once you get over that hump to find self-motivation because you're not trying to convince somebody else 
to do something that way. You you know, you know how your brain works. So mm-hmm. it does make it easier. And like, I try to get myself excited about what's coming next and like finish the staple beers and finish everything that I need to get done at that time so that I can brew a new exciting beer or, you know, a one-off New England or just mm. put 8,300 pounds of fruit into one single beer <laughs> and a bunch of lactose. <laughs> um, yeah, you are known as, like, what, the lactose king? I'm the king of the lactose. I, I have a secret silo. It's uh, an underground bunker. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about lactose and beer that made you, like, so curious? I... I think at this point I'm just doing it to piss other brewers off. <laughs> it's working. Um, or it's worked. No, I mean, I I think Heritage Hill has built a reputation around our fruited sour beer. Mm-hmm. And um, I, imp- I started implementing using lactose in fruited sour beer at Talking Cursive just based on how it accentuated the fruit characteristics. And um, I've, you know... I keep doing so many different sour beers over here and I've I've done a lot of test batches where I don't add lactose to some and I do to the same exact beer and I'll do a side by side and just something about lactose and fruited sours it just really makes that fresh fruit character come out. Hmm. But more so than I can just piss off other brewers. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're testing out if you if, if you're sitting at home and you're thinking all right, uh, I've been, you know, you've been thinking about a recipe for a new beer, a new st- whatever, not a new style, but a new way of doing something. Do you small batch to like see if it's going to work before you do a full batch of it? No, I send it, send yeah. it full batch. Um, usually everything's within the same uh, weight parameter for mm-hmm. for barley, and um, then I kind of formulate the water um, water profile around that. So we're we are off a well, so all of the brewing water is super hard, so it's ran mm-hmm. through two charcoal filters, a UV flash filter, um, softener salts, and then I push it through a dual membrane reverse osmosis machine and filter out almost all minerality and then back treat my brewing water with um, the correct brewing salts to get the water profile I desire. Wow. Was that there in place or is that something that you put in? Um, There was a single membrane in place when I started. Um, It just didn't keep up up with the volume. Um, I think within the first year I was there I did more than like I almost quadrupled the year before production so Mm. and since then I've doubled that so Mm. it's crazy I mean I I don't I truly don't know how um the previous brewers before me got away with brewing as little as they did like Mm. it it worked somehow um but you know as time goes on you know we we added more streams of revenue which brings more people in brings more family you know so yeah Heritage Hill is a great space. I mean, like, you know, me just being the stubborn douchebag that I am, you know, was giving Dan some shit. And I don't even think Dan knows who I am. I don't I don't think he does at all because I saw him at an event out there. I was like, hey, Dan, how's it going? He was like, hey, thanks for coming out. <laughs> hey, you. How are you? Good to see um, you, bud. Yeah. Uh, so, and that's not, you know, fair of me. And let me just be the one here to apologize. Oh, it's fine. Um it's it is out of the beaten path, you know. Yeah. If if I didn't, yeah, I don't go there on my days off anymore. I used to quite a bit, but it's it is it's a it, hike, and when you drive yeah. it five days a week or sometimes six seven days a week, 
the drive gets old. It is a pretty drive. Yeah. But like some days I'll take different routes and I even bought another car just to drive a different car to help <laughs> to see if that helps with the, with the commute. Um, it's not a bad drive. It's just, it does get old after a while. Yeah. It's just such an impressive facility and going out there, we went out there before we had our son with some friends and there's just so much to do out there. Yeah. You know, I mean, from hanging out at the bar or the restaurant, getting something to eat, going down to the hammocks, the animals, the coffee shop. I, I mean, it's just, it's, there's so much to do out there. It's crazy. Um, and, and then going for like the rodeo over this past summer, I was out there. I think I forget if that was July. I think it was August maybe. Cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, the rodeo was sweet. That was insane, man. Yeah, there were yeah. so many people out there. Um, I don't know if it's public knowledge yet, but I guess now it is. Um, we actually are building a rodeo facility on our property now. It'll be oh, really? it'll be done in the spring, yeah. That's so, awesome. So it'll be easier for people to, you know, implementing one more thing again, like, like I was yeah. talking about, like that's one more stream of revenue on-premise versus doing it. Yeah. On our other property down the road, um, we're actually doing rodeos right there at the brewery now, which is awesome. Why do you think um, Dan and Heritage Hill get so much shit from the people in Pompey? Um, there is a lot that goes into that. Um, from my understanding, which I, you know, forgive me, Dan, if you're watching this and this is incorrect, but um, I think it has a lot to do with the politics in the town mm -hmm. and um there is a family that lives behind the brewery at the edge of our property line <clears throat> that um what i i think I, again i don't know the full full truth of this but i'm pretty sure they're with the other political party and mm -hmm. the republicans won and it has a lot to do with people being upset about that and um basically a lot of that a lot of us getting approved for the new build-out was based around what would happen with the election, and we ended up getting approved from the election once the Republicans won. Hmm. And I think the neighbors didn't love that, so they're just trying to come after us whatever hmm. way they can to try to delay the um, the big big expansion we're about to do. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, you'd think a place like that, you know, a facility that's that large that brings that much revenue into Pompey, into a place that typically wouldn't see that many people from that, you know, those the stretches of central New York the way that it does. You'd think that, like, neighbors would be cool with that. Like, hey, look at all this economic development that's happening. Yeah, I I agree. I don't want to talk too much about it. I don't want to rustle feathers. Yeah. Um, the key word is allegedly. You just have to say allegedly this allegedly, happened. Allegedly. You're, you're good. Yeah, I don't know. I, I truly try to stay out of everything as much as possible mm. just so I can... Um, be in the dark about it and then when someone asks i can <laughs> honestly say i don't know <laughs> you're only trying to ruffle the feathers of lactose yeah oh yeah shake them bags baby yeah i love cows sense. you know we got and that again that's important <laughs> it's important to use lactose because we are you know we we have black angus and we're mm -hmm. our only way from there to further support the agricultural community is for me to just pump lactose into people's veins <laughs> it's it's important that's your job <laughs> I remember when we were, my wife and I were in Hawaii for a honeymoon right before the pandemic, and we took a tour of, who makes Longboard? Is it Oahu? No, oh, Oahu. Uh, cool. Maui? Maui Brewing Company, I believe. Yeah. Um, that sounds right. It was on the Big Island, Kona Brewing Company. It's Kona okay. Brewing Company. And 
So we got to go to their brewing facility and their tap room and did a brewery tour. And it was really cool to go see and, and take, have a tour through it and, and then get flights of their beers and all that kind of stuff. Was uh, it good? Was it good beer? I enjoyed it. I drank quite a bit of it. I drank, How much did you drink before saying I, that? I drank quite a bit of were you, it. Were you off the liquor already? Or I was. When we were there, <laughs> I drank a lot. That's what I you was, do. That's important on vacation. Yeah. I was going be back and forth between Kona Brewing Company beers and uh, rum. Mai Tais. A lot of rum. A lot of rum. Yeah. A lot of, you know. What's in a Mai Tai? Um, well, it depends on who's making it. You know, if you're making like a real Mai Tai, it's Orjat, you know, an almond syrup. Orjat. Um, which with is really lactose. good with rum. And there's maybe, what is the other? There's like lime in it, I think. A, a, a real Mai Tai, like invented by Trader Vic back in the 50s, 40s, whatever it was. Is that Trader Joe's cousin? Yes. I like him already. Yeah. And <laughs> um, he's like the father, the godfather of. My of uh, tiki and tiki cocktails, trademark. Huh. Um, and so his is different. Where like a resort, you know, mai tai is um, uh, uh, white and dark rum, pineapple juice, orange <laughs> juice, lime juice, simple syrup. They float the dark rum on top. God, I have you a know. hangover already thinking about it. <laughs> I could sit on a beach, preferably on the west coast. And just, just crush them. Crush. Get one of those one-gallon dispense jugs right next to you and just... Absolutely crush Mai Tais. Yeah. I've never had one, man. I, oh, I don't, my God. I, I like bourbon quite a bit. I have a pretty extensive collection of bourbon, but yeah. I don't really... like If I'm going to go to a bar or go out drinking, I don't really adventure with cocktails. It's mm. If they don't have Utica Club, it's Coors Banquet or... Um, <laughs> Pabst Blue Ribbon <laughs> or High Life, and if none of those are an option, I'm gonna say it. I will. I will crush White Claws. Yeah, I like White Claw. I like White Claw. People give me shit. They're like, "Oh, you're a brewer and you're drinking a White Claw." It's like, "Yeah, you're a dentist. I don't. I don't see you here cleaning people's teeth. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> like, leave me alone. Let me. Let me drink my 87 White Claws tonight." <laughs> Yeah, that's the great thing about white claws. You can drink a shit ton of them. They can yeah. help get you drunk quick. And you don't you're not ungodly hung over the next day from, you know, cuz there's no real unfermented sugar in there. It's yeah. just hooch with artificial flavoring. Right. You know who loves white claws, but he did say Tim Shore. No. Um, but he did <laughs> say they're a little strong for him as Bud Laura. I don't know if you Really? Yeah, you know yeah, you know Bud, right? Good guy, yeah. Bud loves white claws. I think he'll drink anything that's got alcohol in it. <laughs> yeah. But specifically he even got a White Claw tattoo and wears a White Claw t-shirt. That's how much wow. he loves White Claw. Um, they call him actually Bud White Claw Laura in some <laughs> circles. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I can't White wait. Claw. But I hope you listen to this on Christmas morning and, and, and send us a text. crack open a cold White Claw. <laughs> or warm. We don't judge. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I like White Claws. But So we took that tour, and the thing that I was thinking about when I was on the tour and what I asked him about is like, you know, because Kona Brewing's obviously massively distributed, and and you know, are they brewing everything on the island? No, they've got you know contractors, and I forget. I think they might be owned by like AB or somebody, but um, you know, they've got brewing facilities all over the country. It was kind of funny though. If you were getting draft beer, Kona Brewing Company anywhere in Hawaii, it came from the brewery that was on the Big Island. But if you were getting a bottle, it most likely came from like Wisconsin, huh? And was shipped in. Yeah, um, but it's crazy the, to think. The thing that interested me the most was how do they keep everything the same from 
their main brewery in Hawaii to the one in Wisconsin or wherever the fuck it was. And yeah. he was saying it's mineral packs. Like they have to test the water for the minerals and then they use that to keep it the same yeah. inconsistently. Yeah, there's a lot of variables with that. Um, yeah. And, you know, I always thought it was crazy, similar topic, but slightly off topic. You, uh, the Pepsi plants, right, in Cicero, mm-hmm. um, you rarely ever see any Pepsi or Mountain Dew or any Pepsi products for that matter that says it was made in Clinton's Ditch um, mm. Cicero on the package. Really? So they're making it and shipping it away, and then we end up with Pepsi and yeah. Mountain Dew from another plant. Yeah. It's like, I. it doesn't make any sense to me. Like, Yeah, it's wild. I, some, You know, you get a nice cold Mountain Dew, you're like, hell yeah, brewed right here in <laughs> Cicero, and it's like from, you know, North Dakota or something. Right. That's why everybody should drink Challenger Cola. Challenger <laughs> Cola and Brown Carbonic is a sponsor of this week's Eat Local New York podcast. Shucks Root Beer is my favorite root beer, and you should support local and drink Challenger Cola, made right here in East Syracuse. Right, Bailey? That was a good plug. Yeah, shout good. out to the Sean Sally. Uh, Sean was just in here today and uh, playing some him. videos. Yeah, we're going to do, I think, um, for Brown Carbonic, we're going to do like a whole like big brewery feature, history of Brown Carbonic video and stuff like that. Um, it is kind of it's just, I know it's odd. It's like just a just random thing, but it's really cool that they make like soda. Yeah, um, yeah, and we also did a collab with them. So yeah. if you're in McGraw, um, you know, if you're heading back from Greek Peak skiing, stop into McGraw Box Brewery, grab grab the uh, um, Shocker Pink Lemonade, or stop in a Heritage Hill. It took me a moment to remember what we named that beer. <laughs> or stop in a Heritage Hill and grab a Shocker Pink Lemonade. It was made with um, Brown Carbonics Wonderful Pink Lemonade. Yeah. Brewed it over at McGraw as a clap with Heritage Hill and Brown, and it is a lovely little treat. Is this the logo? Um, you know, uh, what did you say? <laughs> what did you say to say about this? Uh, uh, what did you say? Not hypothetically. You're like oh, allegedly. Uh, allegedly, that may be the inspiration <laughs> for the name. Allegedly, I, I you figured it. I you allegedly might have allegedly figured it out. <laughs> <That's hilarious. laughs> Um, all right, the switching, shocker. <laughs> shocker. switching topics to something <laughs> a little more serious. What do you think is going on in the beer industry? Why is beer down so much? Yeah, um, I think it has a lot to do with the economy and, you know, um, the cost of living is going up like crazy and yet wages haven't um, come up to justify being able to go out and spend, you know, $8 a pint and, you know, then you have to get snacks or food and you end up spending hundreds of dollars to go out for a night when you can spend significantly less to get, you know, beer at the grocery store, mm-hmm. um, large macro format and, you know, make, make food at home. It's really just I think a lot of it has to do with the economy and small businesses are the ones that are hurting by it because, you know, people people aren't going to go out and support small businesses if they can't afford to, even if they want to, you know. Yeah. I do think that's part of it. I mean, it is. Rebecca and I used to order pizza every Friday night, and we stopped because we'd spend, I won't name the place that we ordered from, and granted, like $15 of it was delivery fees, but, and delivery fee and tip. But we ordered takeout for a large pizza and wings last week. It was $60. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't that good. And so, yeah, it is incredibly, allegedly, allegedly <laughs> it is incredibly expensive um, to go out to eat or drink yeah. nowadays. And also, Bud was, I was just talking to Bud about this. He was saying a friend, they were like, hey, we're trying to go out for like a nice meal somewhere late on like a Thursday or Friday night. And nobody was open past like nine or 10 o'clock. Yeah. 
Um, I think part of the issue with craft beer is its availability. You know, most medium, not even medium, like I'd say smallish, medium-sized breweries have got have found a way to distribute and get their beer in grocery stores, whether it's a Tops or Wegmans or whatever the case is, whether it's self-distributing or going through Sheehan or OnBev or whomever. And not to mention they're in so many different restaurants. The availability of beer exists. Um, it, it's just, it's it's everywhere. And so why, first of all, like, I'm going to have a stronger emotional connection to a company that has a better, unless there's like a special scenario. Like if IBU, if IBU was open, I would be at IBU and drinking pretty much exclusively their beer because of the connections I had when I first got into beer. And yeah. Hanging out there with Dunes and Big Mike and Pedro, you know, hanging out with them. Yeah. They were the first people to like let me in to, and be like, you know, hey, you just bought a camera and you know what the fuck you're doing? Sure, come on up and hang yeah. out with us for a brew day. You know? you know McGraw took that space over, right? I do, yeah. And the rumor of us buying, of me, Petro, and, and Terry buying it to open our own brewery is not true. I've so many people messaged me asking me that, and I thought I started hilarious. that rumor. You, I think I feel sure like I you did. You are the. I'm pretty rumor sure you guy. told me. You told me that no, that was the thought. Petro is always, you know, he has love you, Petro. He's got a big one of these. Yeah, he's watching this on Christmas morning. Yeah, he is. But <laughs> it, it all stemmed from him. Um, none of us are in a place to do any of that financially, or you know, yeah. Um, it's and it's it'd be the worst time ever because yeah. the way craft beer is going, um, right? Unfortunately, I feel like it's ba- like it's bouncing a little bit, yeah, back. Um, and it could just be it's because it's my interest, but I don't think it is. I think that people are starting to, and I don't know if it's it's not the majority of people, but I think that like the group of individuals who are really interested in craft beer, not just interested in like, oh yeah, I'll drink the local IPA versus right. the national. I'm talking about these are the people who are like, wait a minute, how did you make that? And, you know, what are the tasty notes? Like the people that are really into it, I feel like that group is either coming back out or it's growing. I'm not sure yeah. which, but I do feel like there's just more of an interest in craft beer now, right now than there was three months ago. Um, having said that, I do feel like the reason why a lot of craft breweries are hurting is because, like, they sell their beer everywhere. Right. I can go and get... Oversaturation, yeah. Right. Yeah. I can go to five, six, uh, 12 different restaurants in Syracuse tonight and find beer from Pink Fern (laughs) Brewing Company. Shout out to Grow Brewing Company. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, Yeah, and, uh, you know, a lot of that, that's a a, a dual-wielded sword. Um, A lot of places need to... um, A lot of breweries need to sell their beer elsewhere in order to um, make enough... um, Revenue to, oh, that got really loud. Make enough revenue to be, you know, be able to sustain. Yeah. So, in a sense, you know, it's it sucks because the oversaturation mm-hmm. is is keeping them afloat, but it's also hurting their in-house sales, which is where you build your biggest right revenue. So it's it's hard, you know, and and in some cases, like I'm I'm extremely grateful for. The fact that we our tap room is a unique space, and honestly, in most regards, like putting putting our product at certain restaurants and bars is a luxury to us, mm-hmm. and it's it's not a necessity. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of breweries, it is a necessity, and I'm grateful for that because I deliver all the sales <laughs> and I do all of that. But I'm also, you know, I love being able to work with other restaurants and 
and bars and such, but I, I, that allows me to be selective with who I want to work with in order to once, you know, control that supply chain in order to push people to come out mm -hmm. and, and two be able to collaborate with our friends. Um, mm -hmm. like, uh, once our good friend Kyle, uh, opens up tap house on Walton, we have a, um, we're actually brewing their house beer. So we'll be on all year round. Um, and his house lager is actually produced at Heritage Hill. So I'm super excited about that. Yeah. All right. So what are your, what's your hope, what's your vision, what's your goal for your brewing career? Um, I'd like to start making, um, and this is every brewer's dreams. I want to make more beer that I like to drink. Um, <laughs> and that's hard. I love saisons. Mm -hmm. I love uh, barrel-aged mixed culture beer. We have a bunch of stuff coming out that's been sitting in barrels for three years, some for two years, um, mm. all kinds of different stuff, different blends. Super excited about that stuff. Um, last time you came and visited, you actually tried one of those. I'm super excited to release that one. We're just waiting a little bit longer for the, the bottles to finish, mm. um, bottle conditioning. Um, but yeah, that's really my biggest, my, my biggest goal right now is just implementing more beers that I'm even more so passionate about and continuing to expand our... Um, you know, the library of beers that we have up there. That's cool. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, you've got to get going here in a little bit. Yes, Are there sir. any Christmas, because this is coming out Christmas Day. Yes. Yeah. I am super excited about the beer we uh, talked about in the beginning. It is a barley wine that should sit about 12%. Mm -hmm. um, super excited about that. That's the first uh, recipe me and Terry have worked on together. So it's... Uh, is it available? It will be available right around Christmas time. Okay. So, so today. Yeah, today. So maybe like two Come days up and ago. Get one. Yeah, two days. You might have just. You might already had one. You might be drinking some right now. Crazy enough. Um, yeah, super excited for that. Uh, we got some new fun stouts coming out that I can't speak too much about because I'll ruin it. Even even if it is Christmas. We have a stout beer and oyster festival at what? Harvey's in February. Let's do it. We're already doing it. Can I do it? Yeah, you can be involved. Yeah. You guys always invite me, and then don't, I don't get invited. Stout beer, and well, that's Ryan Som. Sure. Well, let me let's let me find out where Ryan Som lives. Let me yeah. pull up. Just uh, kidding. Love you, Som. Stout beer <laughs> and oyster festival. Yeah, dude, I'm in. I don't love oysters, but. And then we're doing a West Coast IPA festival. Oh man! On the, in the beginning of February. Can I come? Yeah, for sure. I got a good Westie. Yeah, we need them. The bestie we Westie. We like twelve of them. Um, well, listen, William. Yes, sir. It's actually, my birth name is Billy, crazy enough. Was it really? Yeah, Billy Smith. I'm not going to say anymore, but yeah, Billy. You born in Virginia, West Virginia? Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Everybody yeah. check out Heritage Hill. You can find it around town. You can find it in Pompey and... Syracuse Stone. That's Billy. See you guys. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Well, there it is, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Eat Local New York podcast. It means the absolute world to me. Thank you so much for checking out the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I'm going to catch you back here next week for a brand new episode of the Eat Local New York podcast. <laughs>